Welcome to the Ephesians 3 podcast. Here you can listen to the student talks given at Ephesians 3, a weekly fellowship where students at Newman Parish in Columbia, Missouri, speak on topics of faith and experience fellowship and life-giving community. Based on the passage of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, the ministry seeks to lead students deeper in the Catholic faith through community, conversation, and prayer. We hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Talk about some girl power. So, uh, with the actual start, what I want to talk about is tonight we're going to be discussing uh, four women, and some of them have some very real stories, some very human stories, uh, some pretty raw stories. And so, if you feel the need to step out at any time, feel free to do so. I will not be offended. Just step out for a minute if you need to. Um, With that being said, I, I kind of already introduced my topic to you all, and you might be wondering... Why is he going to talk to us uh, about these four women? Uh, You might be able to take a closer look at me and realize that I'm, in fact, not a woman. Um, And and essentially, the story is just that recently I was driving back from Columbia to Kansas City, and I was on the phone with my sister. And she's at uh, Notre Dame right now studying theology, uh, getting her master's there. And we just, uh, we like to talk about scripture a lot. And I was talking to her about Bathsheba because my Bible study is doing Solomon this semester. And... Uh, she said, yeah, you, you know, Bathsheba's one of the four women in the genealogy of Jesus, right? And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. So we ended up talking about this topic for probably 45 minutes to an hour, and it was just great. And so I wanted the opportunity to kind of introduce it to you, uh, uh, to some of you guys. So this is my Ephesians 3 talk by Jacob Murgis and John Wickenhauser. John Wickenhauser actually did not help with this at all. If anything, he distracted me from making it and was <laughs> antithetical to its creation. Um, so, so when... We're talking about Matthew's genealogy of Jesus tonight. Uh, He begins his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he shows directly from generation to generation how Jesus's earthly parents came about. It has this form of Perez became the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, But the way that he arranges his genealogy is very deliberate. Uh, he, he excludes certain people. He excludes up to 100 years worth of people at some times to kind of create this special symbolism of 14 generations from one specific person to another and from the, them to another and so forth. And so we, what we know about Matthew's genealogy is that it's very deliberate. Everyone that's there is there for a reason. Um, but what's fascinating about this, this intentionality is that 2,000 years ago when cultures and views on women were very different, Matthew had the wherewithal to include these four women, and so we're going to talk about them and what they mean for us tonight. Um, Please don't ask me about if Jesus' DNA or Mary's DNA was present in Jesus' body. I don't know or understand that. Uh, Father Dan back there would be a great person to ask that too. But what's important is that Jesus didn't really want or care about these women's DNA being in him. Uh, what he cared about were their stories. So the first woman we're going to talk about tonight is Ruth from the book of Ruth. Ruth is the mother of someone named Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of King David. So we are talking about David's great-grandmother. 
And Ruth was a Gentile woman, meaning she was a non-Jew. Or specifically, she was a Moabite. And what's really fascinating about that is the Moabites are actually descended from the strange relation of Lot, who following the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, his daughters got him drunk, they slept with him. One of them uh, created from this a child who they named Moab, and the Moabites were descended from him. And so the Moabites kind of come from, from this messy background and they were opposed to the Israelites for a lot of their existence. We see them go to war a couple of times. Uh, after Solomon falls, he builds an altar to their main god. They were engaged in human sacrifice for a while. And you can see on this map up here, just kind of their geographical uh, positioning in relation to the kingdom of Israel and Judah. They were, were just across the sea from them. Um, but with the story of Ruth, there was an Israelite woman named Naomi. And within Israel, there was a huge famine. So Naomi's husband took her and her two sons to the land of Moab, where there was not an ongoing famine. Once there, one of her sons married a Moabite woman named Ruth. Now, Naomi's husband and her two sons die during their time there. But the famine in Israel ends, and so she decides to move back there. She tells Ruth to stay in Robe in Moab, but Ruth says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there be buried. So Ruth moves to Israel with Naomi and what follows is a beautiful story of loyalty and I recommend you look into it. But my point with Ruth that I want to focus on is that she was a Gentile and an outsider. She came from these quote unquote wicked Moabites. Not only is it wild that King David came from a Moabite, that, but that the Messiah of the Jews came from a Moabite woman. And so what I want to talk about specifically with her being included in this genealogy is that she was an outsider, but Jesus didn't care. She showed up in Israel, a very foreign land with a different peoples, a different culture than she had lived with her entire life. Uh, she may not have felt very welcome. In fact, some of the people who did welcome her commented that if not for them, she may have been mistreated pretty badly. But Jesus is fine coming from her line. Um, many of us kind of showed up feeling like outsiders here in college. Columbia might feel like a very foreign place to you. But her unique background did not disqualify Ruth from being in the line of Jesus, and it doesn't disqualify you from coming from it. Uh, you might feel awkward as heck being down there in that church. It might feel different than the church from where you came from. This might feel like a different community than where you've came from. But that doesn't mean that you're not meant to be here. That doesn't mean that you're not welcome here, and that doesn't mean that this isn't your home. Um, Ruth started out as somebody that didn't belong, but the church determined that not only did she belong in Jesus's family, she belonged in her own book in the Bible. Her otherness didn't disqualify her from Christ, uh, and feelings of being other will never disqualify you from him. Now, another woman in this genealogy is Rahab. Um, Rahab is actually the mother of the Israelite who will one day marry Ruth, so she's pretty closely tied in with her but her story starts with her being a Gentile woman living in the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a powerful city that the Israelites encountered in their journey from Egypt to the promised land during their time in the desert. And Israel spent, sent two spies into Jericho, and they ended up staying at the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Rahab even ended up lying to the authorities in order to keep these spies safe. But during the destruction of Jericho, she is spared and accepted into the Jewish peoples, 
because when the spies were there, they gave her a red cloth and they told her to tie this cloth above her window. And that red cloth mirrors the red blood of the lamb that the Israelites put over their doors when the angel passed over them at the Feast of Passover. And so with this symbolic action, Rahab is welcomed into the Jewish people and made one of them. But what's really interesting is that we see here the great-great-grandmother of David and eventually down the line relative of Jesus is a prostitute. Uh, she's a woman who was quite familiar with, with the realities of sin. Um, but she would go on to have a child named Boaz, and Boaz would one day marry Ruth, the woman we just talked about. And I theorize that one of the reasons that Boaz was so welcoming to Ruth when she came to this new land is because she was raised by a woman who knew what it was to be an outsider. Ruth was brought into this community whose customs she didn't know, and so it wouldn't surprise me if she purposefully raised Boaz to be compassionate and welcoming. But to kind of circle back to, to this reality of her being a prostitute in her former life, her sins didn't disqualify her from the family of Jesus. And your sins don't disqualify you from the family of Jesus. Jesus called her worthy to be his ancestor just as he calls you worthy to be his ancestor. Her sins did not distance him, her from this relationship any more than your sins have done or will do. Her sins didn't define her. She's not in Matthew's genealogy as Rahab, the prostitute. She's in the genealogy as Rahab, the mother of Boaz and the ancestor of Jesus. And the next woman we're going to talk about is named Tamar. Now, is a little bit of background for those of you who don't know. There are 12 tribes of Israel, and one of these is named Judah, the tribe of Judah. That's the one that Jesus is descended from. And the tribe of Judah is named after the man Judah. Uh, there were 12 sons of Jacob, and each tribe of Israel is named after one of those sons. Now, Judah himself had three sons. The eldest one married a Gentile woman named Tamar. And what scripture says about this first son is that he greatly offended the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Now, according to tradition, the next son was supposed to marry Tamar and produce an heir. But the second son of Judah was kind of scared of her in a way. Um, he thought that maybe the death of the first brother was, was Tamar's fault. And so what scripture says is that he wasted his seed upon the ground um, and, and also in, in kind of an effort because he didn't feel like his offspring would truly be his. He thought that they would maybe kind of belong to the first brother in a way. And so he disrespected Tamar in this manner. And so God actually strikes him down for this action. And so now Judah promises Tamar his last son. But now Judah himself is worried because he's lost, from his point of view, he's lost two sons to this woman. And so he says, when my, son is, when my third son is older, you can marry him. He can be your husband. But the son gets older and older, and Tamar kind of realizes that this marriage is never going to happen. Uh, Judah is not going to give her his son. So Judah's wife is now dead, and he goes on a trip. And so Tamar follows him. She disguises herself as a prostitute. She seduces him, sleeps with him, uh, and he says that he will send her a young goat. But he doesn't have any goats with him right now, so he gives her his cord, his seal, and his staff, which are three things that can be used to identify him. Uh, so she flees. He eventually returns to that location with a goat, but he can't find her anywhere. So he goes, goes back to where he was living at. 
Uh, now, eventually, Tamar starts to show her pregnancy. And Judah and the people around her notice this. They point this out to Judah. And so Judah, the Bible says, he takes her out to be burned. He's going to burn her to death for her adultery. But she kind of has this amazing mic drop moment where she pulls out the cord and the seal and the staff. And she says, these are from the father of my child. And with this action, Judah kind of realizes that a child was able to be produced from her without someone dying and that he was in the wrong in this situation and, and that he had treated her poorly. Um, but that child is what eventually descends down to Jesus. That child produced from this strange relation between Judah and Tamar. Um, and so Tamar is, she's involved in this messy family affair. She's married to two wicked men who don't care for her very much. They don't treat her well. Her father-in-law essentially casts her aside. But once again, Jesus calls her worthy to be his ancestor. These events don't disqualify her. Um, maybe some of you guys have been in bad or unholy relationships. Uh, maybe you carry wounds because of that. Maybe you yourselves have been cast off by one of your parents, maybe both of them. Um, but it doesn't disqualify you. Jesus judged her to be worthy in his literal family, just as he judges us to be worthy to be a part of his family, to be his children. I mean, Tamar marries into this this very messy family situation, but you know we, we wouldn't really think of her as maybe someone to be connected with the word mother very much, but she becomes the mother of what is essentially the greatest of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, the tribe of Judah is the one that stays loyal to God for the longest. They're the one that King David comes from, that Solomon comes from, that Jesus eventually comes from. She really kind of goes from this figure who is not given a child and not given a child to the mother of the greatest tribe of Israel. Now that leads us to our last woman, Bathsheba, sometimes spelled Bathsheba. Um, there are both spellings in, in my Bible, and so I wasn't really sure which one to go with. So we have both up here on the slide. Um, now Bathsheba was, it can be assumed, we don't see it explicitly, but it can be assumed another Gentile woman. Bathsheba is not a traditionally Hebrew name, and she was married to Uriah the Hittite. The Hittites were another group of people who were non-Jewish that can kind of, I think, safely be assumed that she was also a Gentile, which if you're counting, is four out of four. So she was married to this man, Uriah the Hittite, and King David one day sees Bathsheba bathing. Uh, he summons her, he sleeps with her, he impregnates her, and to tie up a loose end, he kills her husband, Uriah. It gets him killed in battle. Now, she is eventually the mother of Solomon, and of course, Jesus eventually comes from her and from David, but where this gets complicated is that there are kind of two ways to read her story. Um, Bathsheba is either this great sinner who is very complicit in the adultery that goes on. Um, she's bathing in full view of David on purpose. She seduces him, uh, cheats on her husband very willingly, or the scripture can also kind of be read that she was just out there bathing, and King David was being a little bit of a creep and spying on her, and he summoned her, and he's the king, and so there was a great power imbalance here, and she didn't really have the ability to say no to him. And it could, could be a mix of these stories as well. But no matter which is the truth, once again, Jesus calls her worthy to be his ancestor. Uh, he's descended from her. He's publicly acknowledging her as his ancestor in this genealogy. He's saying, yeah, that's Bathsheba, and I come from her. 
And he says the same thing to us. Um, as a, a lot of people are sexually mistreated in college, um, and, and a lot of people experience it before college. Um, it's estimated that between one in four and one in six children are sexually victimized in some way. Um, there's a heck of a lot more than four to six people in this room right now. And I'm not saying that so that people start looking around and making mental math calculations. Um, classes are out for the day. I'm not asking you to try to do math. What I'm saying is th that this is a common experience to people and, and that that hurt that shouldn't have happened to Bathsheba and shouldn't have happened to anyone in this room that it's happened to didn't disqualify her from Jesus's family. And it sure as heck does not disqualify you. It, this was Bathsheba's beginning, but it's not her end. Because what we see is Bathsheba, after she mothers Solomon, um, becomes this great queen mother figure. She is somebody that intercedes for the people. People are able to take their requests to her, and she takes them to Solomon. Uh, we see her as somebody that's very loyal to him. She's given a seat at the right hand of his throne. She's actually given a throne of her own. And this here, the image I used for her is actually an image of Solomon and her speaking together um, because she is, is this great mother figure to her, the, this great advisor. And what we see from that is she's actually the foreshadowing of Mary. We see Bathsheba, the mother of the son of David, and we see Mary, the mother of the son of David, both fulfilling the same role in a way. We see Bathsheba in this role of intercessor and loyal follower. And we see Mary in this role to us as intercessor and, and loyal follower of her son. And so Bathsheba, th this woman that if, if she was a sinner, then maybe she just didn't really respect her own sexuality enough. Maybe she didn't have a, a high enough view of herself. Or maybe she was this woman that, that had control of her own sexuality stripped away from her taken from her and yet she is the foreshadowing of Mary uh, she, she's the mother of, of the great King Solomon and so no amount of pain no no amount of woundedness no amount of feeling as though your other can remove this identity from you of child of God we are his family we are Ruth Tamar Rahab and Bathsheba's family in the body of Christ he came from the Gentiles and the Jews for the Gentiles and the Jews. He came from the broken for the broken. He was born of our weaknesses to redeem our weaknesses. God uses the incredibly jagged lines of scripture to write straight the story of salvation history. Um, now this is just a very baseline introduction to these women. Uh, some of them have entire books of the Bible dedicated to them, ergo the book of Ruth. Uh, some of them show up a lot uh, in scripture. And so I really encourage you guys to look further into them, uh, especially if there's one that you maybe relate to their story a little bit. And even if there isn't one who you really relate to, uh, I encourage you to look into these four women because they are four just tremendously strong, great ladies that I think we can all really learn a lot from. Thank you. Mm -hmm.